0: Shem HaShem seven Atzliach Shavua Tov, Shavua Mevorach, everybody. We're, Baruch Hashem, back continuing our series of Jewish Ashkafa Start a new week, Baruch Hashem, with some uh, interesting teachings. Be'ezot Hashem. We uh, have uh, quite a bit on our plate. Be'ezot Hashem. Uh, Tonight's show will be for Refua Lema for Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Rav Ephraim Ben Levana Bat Sarah, Avimori David Ben Morati, Doris Bat Zora, and also for that Atzlachar for Bar Shabbat Shuli, and all of Am Yisrael, and all the Righteous Noahides that continue to contribute, continue to help us, doing all the amazing things that uh, we're doing, Baruch Hashem, at the organization. Uh, Bezod Hashem, uh, later on tonight, uh, or tomorrow, each of you is that's following us is going to get a notice of the release date of the new Geno movie. Bezod Hashem, we're scheduling it for... Uh, the 14th of uh december uh so that's just in the next 10 days or so because of the it's going to be a uh, life-changing movie already uh we've had uh quite a bit of uh quite a bit of work put into it and already a couple of people that are behind the scenes they got the uh privilege of uh, of seeing it are saying that uh it's it worked it worked uh so uh with that being said we're uh, gonna get right into it uh as i'm sure some of you know uh over the last couple of years probably two three years or so there's been uh different you know every every so often there is a, a different anti-semite that uh you know will take some tidbits of our lectures that we did uh you know uh, against corrupt business practices by jewish people uh we in there we've uh, mentioned historical facts uh, about what happened during the holocaust before the holocaust how the uh, corrupt business practices of jewish people fueled the uh, fire both spiritually and otherwise uh, of the uh, haters of jews and this is not a new thing this is something that is uh written by rashi in the commentary on uh, amalek on the uh the uh, mitzvah of uh, destroying amalek if you look at it in the torah You'll see the Rashi commentary over there. You'll see that uh, he says that um, the reason why Akadosh Baruch Hu in the Torah itself put the verse of destroying Amalek, uh, remembering Amalek and you know, eventually destroying him uh, and also corrupt business practices right, you know, preceding it uh, right next to each other is because he wants to tell us that each time Jewish people are corrupt in their business practices, it actually fuels the fire of their enemy. So, in essence, they're hurting themselves. So, of course, we've brought this in lectures. We've brought many, many sources, both historical and biblical sources, sources from the sages so, so, you know, of, of recent years, sources from sages from you know, 800 or 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago. Our lectures are full of sources. But, of course, the, uh, the anti-Semites, the, the haters of, of Jews, uh, can't decipher the difference between a, a, a Torah source and a uh, source from you know, what they got in the newspaper, so they're going to take whatever tidbits they want in order to uh, you know, serve their agenda. And they're serving their agenda well. They're spending a lot of money uh, reconstructing our, our, our videos uh, in order
1: to get their message across. You're going to want to watch this video. T- as a leader, he accomplished what's viewed today as the biggest financial miracle in history. Hitler came to power and within six years, Germany became the wealthiest economy in the world. How did this happen, brother Joshua? Don't even trip, I got you. Hitler implemented two laws to make this happen. I could tell you about them personally, but I'd rather have a Jewish rabbi prove my point.
0: Rule number one, no more pornography, no more homosexuality, none of that garbage, not allowed. Berlin in the 30s, in the 20s, was the Sodom and Gomorrah of the day. They were the Las Vegas of the day. They were the Sodom and Gomorrah day. Homosexuality, pornography, all the bestiality, all the garbage of the world, that was the capital of the world. He outlawed it, that you're no longer allowed, closed all the bars, all the gay clubs, all the production, which were all run by Jewish people, unfortunately.
1: Well, see we gotta come with their own Jewish scholarship because when I say it, they call it hate teaching. But let's get into rule number two.
0: Second rule. What's the second rule? Second rule was you're not allowed to charge interest. No more interest. Now you would think, why? What does he care about interest? Well, because all the people that had the money that lent the money out were Jews. He didn't like it. So he said, no more interest. Why? Because of the high interest that the Jews charged people was so high, it ruined, it destroyed the economy in Germany. They destroyed, just like they destroyed Russia. Few years before that, through their communism over there, Jews destroyed Russia. Not, uh, not Guy, Jews destroyed. Communism is by Jews. Well, don't let anybody confuse you. You look at history Karl Marx, all the other Shaim, they're all Jews. Wicked, but nonetheless Jews. Mm. They destroyed Russia, and he wrote in chapter two of Mein Kampf, they destroyed Russia, now they wanted, they're destroying uh, Germany, that's why I have to destroy them. Now, this doesn't make he's right. Point is, that's actually real, true history.
1: How is something that took place in another country years ago relevant to what's going on in America in 2022? I might as well let him finish it off.
0: This is happening again.
1: Now, the good news is, is that this actually
0: uh, helps the, uh, the teachings of the Torah spread to more people. And I've actually spoken about this a couple of years ago, where it spread a lot to more places, because anybody that watches this rabbi speak against his own people, or at least that's the way it seems, uh, you know surely deserves another look and they look at our other uh, lectures and many times you'll actually see some of them say uh, like a comment we got in the last 24 hours that this actually led them to doing tshuva to, to repenting to actually changing their ways and even Jews that discovered our uh, Shulim through these uh, anti-Semites uh, actually did tshuva as a result of it so HaKadosh Baruch Hu has his uh, extraordinary uh, ways to reach different people in different ways and Baruch Hashem that he uses us for it the discouraging uh, part, I would say the sad part of, uh, of these messages is really not coming from the anti-Semites, but rather coming from our fellow Jews, especially those that are supposed to be religious, that love to attack me for every single excuse they could find, sending me the messages saying, oh, did you see? Good job fueling the fire of the anti-Semites. You, uh, you should stop doing lectures. You should stop doing shulim." And of course, they always have some other few things to say. The haters will always have a reason to hate. And the reason why this is uh, and this is sad is because if a Jew actually listened to what the clip says, they would see there's nothing wrong with what's being said. Either it's historical facts or it's things that are biblical commandments. These are things we're obligated to teach. Not uh, this is not a suggestion. This is an obligation. But of course, people hate to hear anything negative, and they think that anti-Semitism starts with my lectures. If they only spent a few minutes looking at the anti-Semites and what work they do, they'll see that those very same anti-Semites are actually also insulting the Gemara. They're also insulting the Rambam. They're also insulting God himself. They're insulting everything. So what do you want? Uh, God to erase the Torah, the Rambam to erase the Torah, the Gemara to be erased, just so some anti-Semite doesn't have a new video to make. So a person needs to obviously use their mind. But again, this isn't subject that we have to address, and the reason why we have to address it is not only because it's becoming more pertinent in, in, in society today to be an anti-Semite. It's, uh, it's more popular, uh, you know, the, the fuel that was put on the, uh, you know, on the fire that already existed by different celebrities, whether it's the uh, yo-yo or some of his friends from the NBA. These are things that, uh, Rabotai, are, are not new fires. These are not new hatreds. This is not new anti-Semites. These are people that have always hated Am Yisrael. It's just that now they're feeling free to express their opinions and their hatred and so on. This is not a new thing. This is why Yaakov Avinu says in, a, uh, in this week's parasha, Please God, save me from the hand of my brother, the hand of Esav. So here we see that the uh, Esav, his brother, has always been a hater. It's not uh, someone that uh, was looking for the good of Yaakov. He's always been there. The problem is, is that sometimes he acts like he's his brother, and sometimes it's clear that he's Esav. So the reason why Yaakov says, save me from my brother, save me from Esav, is because he's much more dangerous when he pretends to be my brother. It's much more dangerous to be my brother. Uh, to be uh, pretending to my brother because I can't tell whether he's going to stab me or he's going to shake my hand. So this is one of the things that the Jewish people need to acknowledge that we're not home regardless of where you are in the world even if you're living in Israel you're living in America or you're in uh, England or Australia you're not home until the Mashiach comes you're not home and that means that we are in the exile we are under attack and that we have to make sure that we realize that the only thing that could save us from our enemies is akadosh bahu himself no government no policies no politicians no amount of money no amount of anything out there could actually help you other than akadosh bahu and the reason why akadosh bahu would save us is if we are loyal to his holy torah this is point that uh, every jew needs to know it's not gonna he's not gonna save you you are rich or because you are poor or because you've suffered in your life or because you had a great life none of that stuff is going to help you if you're observant to the Torah and the Mitzvot you'll survive you'll be okay at the time of Mashiach where a person has to know that if he's observant to the Torah he has eternity he has eternity where even if he dies before Mashiach comes in whatever way or another he has eternity he lives forever that's greater than any savior could ever do for you now of course most people are not aware Uh, of the magnitude of what it means for Mashiach to come. They're not aware of the apparent danger that we're all living in right now as we speak with all the anti-Semitism that's out there thinking that if they make some more tweets, and Facebook post and a few more articles in some Jewish journal, that's going to stop the anti-Semitism. If anything, it's gonna fuel it even more. In fact, one of the things that we wanna do is use our holy Torah to address some of these things, to speak to our brothers, both the ones that are coming from the same mother and the ones that are not coming, coming from the same mother. And the reason why is because it's time for us to understand that there is a significant difference between someone that's a preacher and someone that's a teacher. And this is one of the things that uh, Chazonish is going to help us, help us get to, because one of the, you know, one of the popular videos in uh, recent months has been uh, from uh, one of the uh, students of the vile hater of Jews, uh, Louis Farrakhan. May his name be blotted out. He's a uh, notorious hater of Jewish people without a real cause he has all types of wicked things to say about everybody but needless to say he especially has focused on the jews throughout the years has contradicted himself several times but now the fruits the rotten fruits that he's created are also continuing to spread his teachings and it's important for those people that are either spreading the message listening to the message to understand what they're actually being involved in what they're saying who they're learning from and actually compare the two Compare their uh, their Bible and Quran and whatever other mishmash of nonsense they are uh learning from versus what our holy Torah will say. And we'll see who is actually right and who just sounds good. So our holy Chazonish, our holy Chazonish has taught us over the last several years that the ideology of a person, the ideology of a person is what makes him what he is, meaning that if he has a good foundation, a good ideology, this person can get to eternity, can get far, can be a good person, can be successful in marriage, in parenthood, in a uh, in, in business, in everything that's involved. If a person has a good ideology, ideology that is in line with the ways of God, this person can get very far in life whereas if a person has a corrupt ideology this person is not going to get further than his own bedroom he's going to cause damage wherever he goes he's going to be a damaging husband damaging wife damaging son damaging daughter damaging business partner damaging teacher damaging student he's just going to cause damage in one way or another because his traits are still going to be corrupt, where even if he is a motivational speaker, even if he gives you insightful messages, even if he has great one-liners, the truth be told, the damage that this person leaves behind them in this trail of, 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 of death that he leaves behind them is going to speak for itself. And that's one of the greatest messages that a person needs to know, that there's a difference between someone that's preaching versus someone that's teaching. If someone is preaching to you, that means they're giving you their message. They're giving you their message. They're giving you their message. They're not giving you your message. They're giving you their message, what they believe and what they want you to believe. And in essence, they're trying to empower themselves. They're trying to build themselves a stage due to their idea, due to their thought process, due to their mission. But if someone is teaching, someone is giving you things that you can use in your life, something that you can use, that you can empower yourself without benefiting them in any way, shape, or form, it's someone that's giving you tools that you can live your life in a better way, that you can conduct yourself in a better way. That's one of the greatest differences between the two. And unfortunately, in the world of uh, Farrakhan and the rest of the haters out there, all they do is preach. They preach hatred, they preach all types of messages where they simply tell you, hate this one, hate that one, this one is bad, that one is bad. Okay, can you teach me something? Yeah, I just taught you. Hate this one, hate that one. The Zionists are bad, the Jews are bad, The, the this one is bad, that one is bad. Okay, great, I got it. Everyone is bad. Can you teach me something? How do I get you know, maybe get along with my wife better, become a better father, become a better servant of God. Yeah, if you hate everybody, then you'll become better at everything. Well, apparently the divorce rate is still going skyrocketing. Apparently the kids are still turning out to be criminals. Apparently people are simply only knowing to hate, but they don't know how to become better people. How are you teaching exactly? you're preaching an idea but how is this idea bettering society how is it bettering your own community how is it bettering the people that are even attending these sermons it's not it's only causing fire to spread in more places but the fire also spreads in their own houses that's the saddest truth so the chazonish our holy chazonish is trying to teach us Teach us tools that are going to help us become better people, better Jews, better Noahites, better anyone that's willing to change. If you're not willing to change, it's better to just simply press stop, go away, and go you know, do whatever it is that you were doing before you watched the lecture. But if a person is willing to change... If a a person is looking to improve themselves as a person, which by default means they have to submit, submit to the fact that they were wrong until now. They were wrong about whatever predisposition they had. They were wrong about whatever ideology they had because that ideology caused them to have many fights with their wife, many problems in their business, many problems with society, with the government, and so on and so forth. If a person is living a life full of trouble, it's not the fault of society, but rather it's the person's fault why because everything is decreed by the one above and the one above is not going to give you trouble if you are doing his will so the chazonish is telling us when a man is accustomed when a man is accustomed to being meticulous in the observance of allah what's allah Allah is the law of the torah Allah is the law of the torah and that's one of the things that a person needs to know. There are laws for the Jews, there are laws for the Gentiles. Bezlat Hashem, we're working on a very, very big Shiul for one time only type of thing where it's really one time needed. For the Noahides, where Bezlat Hashem, we're gonna cover the different laws for the Noahides. This has been a request many times over from different people around the world. And Be'ezot Hashem, we're preparing something. Uh, But there are laws for the Noahides, much more so than people think, much more than just simply seven. And we're going to cover that. But there are laws. There are laws for Jews. There are laws for Gentiles. And if a person is meticulous in the observance of Allah, in opposition to his natural and inborn tendencies, this accustoms him to have his deep understanding rule and his intellect control him. What does that mean? That means if a person submits to the law of God in opposition to his natural and inborn tendencies, everything we learned last week or two weeks ago where a person has natural inclination, a natural inclination to be aggressive, a natural inclination to get what he wants or what she wants right now without any patience, a natural inclination to just simply get whatever they want regardless of how many people they step on on their way, a natural inclination to believe whatever they read without necessarily double-checking, a natural inclination to just want without necessarily giving, a natural inclination to be arrogant, a natural inclination to be selfish, a natural inclination to be lazy and oh. that, that's a big problem in this generation. Nonetheless, the person that takes advantage of the law of the Torah and observes the halacha that's in opposition of his inborn tendencies, in opposition of his natural tendencies, all the things that you were born with and all the things that you trained yourself to be like, you were born with a natural inclination to be evil. That's how God says it in the Pashat Noach each person has evil inclination evil inclination that are selfish evil inclinations that are self-righteous evil inclinations that are different between us each one has different evil inclinations and one of the things a person needs to do is overcome those evil inclinations when you're a little kid, you want everything for you. Me, 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 me. Everything is me. You want to, somebody says, "Oh, can I have a little bagel that you have? Can I have a little popcorn that you have? Can I have a little candy you have?" No, it's mine. It's mine. A person is born selfish. They want everything for themselves. As they grow up, they realize if they're gonna get along with society, if they're gonna be a good husband, if they're gonna be a good brother, if they're gonna be a good employee, if they're gonna be a good coworker, if they're gonna be good. Period. They have to share. A person that doesn't know how to work with other people, a person person doesn't know how to delegate a person that doesn't know how to share is not a good person why because this is part of giving into the world giving of yourself giving of your time and even more so giving something to somebody else that's better than you to do the job for the better good for the greater good of society of the company of whatever cause you're fighting for so a person has these natural inclinations they're born with but also they have inclinations that they actually developed themselves why due to their nurture their their surroundings they were surrounded by a bunch of hoodlums they were surrounded by drug addicts and drug dealers they were surrounded by people that were materialistic they were surrounded by people that only cared about the physique rather than caring about the intellect they cared they cared about only about money rather than caring about helping So these are the things that a person develops based on where they grew up. I grew up around a bunch of hoodlums. And guess what? I chose not to be a hoodlum. I chose not to be a hoodlum why because even though i played football and i played i had a lot of friends that were black and spanish and all types of backgrounds and this is the reason why i don't see color and i care less for racism the reality is a bunch of the people that i went to high school with and junior high school with ended up being hoodlums they were hoodlums back then they ended up being hoodlums in their life why they chose that way we both went to the same school we both got the same exact education one of us chose to be something better than what he was and the others chose to be losers why because That's the way they thought. Oh, because I grew up here and I went to Port Richmond High School and I and I and I didn't grow up with a lot of this and a lot of that. Therefore, I'll be this. This is an excuse. Nonsense. If you want to succeed in life, a will give you the opportunity. The choice is yours, regardless of what skin color you have and what background you have. There are plenty of people that were poor and became rich. There are plenty of people that were rich and became poor. There are plenty of people that were black, white, and burgundy. That started one way, ended up another way. This Karim, is important for every single person that is watching this to know you have no excuse to fail other than the excuse you feed yourself in your mind. That's the only excuse. There's no actual valid excuse. It doesn't make a difference where you grew up in and how many troubles you had and whether you were a drug addict and whether your mother died and whether you were dealing and whether you were buying or whether you were selling, it does not make a difference. A person needs to take themselves in their hands and choose wisely. That's why the Torah says, "Akadosh Baruch Hu gave us the Torah to live by the law, not to die by it. Meaning, you have the law, the law is going to help you live life for eternity, not just die with some excuse for a life. And this is, unfortunately, one of the things that a lot of people like to make excuses for themselves. Oh, I didn't make it in life because I grew up in the projects. I didn't make it in life because my father's not a rabbi. I didn't make it in life because I didn't grow up religious. I didn't make it in life because, you know, I grew up over here. I didn't make it in life because of all this nonsense. I've seen all types of people succeed and fail, and it was always their choosing. If you choose to do the things that are necessary for success, you will succeed. Now success is not defined by money. Sometimes a person thinks that success only means money, but there are plenty of people that are extremely successful without having a fortune of money. But if you ask them, they're as happy as can be. They have the ultimate goal that every billionaire aspires to have, which is actual happiness. Some people do have money, but yet they're miserable. Some people have both, they have money and happiness. Some people have both which is money and misery. The key is to understand that if you want to reach a higher goal, that means you have to work for it. It's not going to come to you easy. But the problem today is that we have an ideological defect in society where people don't understand how to get to their goals. And one of the reasons is, is because they don't even know what their goal is supposed to be they have a goal but it's the wrong goal it's a phantom goal and we're going to get to that in a moment here the chazanish is trying to tell us if a person is going to observe the allah observe in in, in a meticulous way observe the law of god in a meticulous way that means that he's going to have to fight himself she's going to fight herself fight her inner inner inclination to be the person that gets everybody's attention every time she walks down the street because she's walking around half naked or with some type of outfit that looks like a traffic light. That's her inclination. She wants everybody to whistle at her like she's a dog. She wants everybody to look at her like she's some type of statue. She wants everybody to pay attention to her. That's the inner inclination. If she's going to comply with the law of God, she's going to fight it tooth and nail and not do it. I'm not telling you to go look like some trash bag. What I'm telling you is don't be the center of attention. Be a person that is known for more than simply their physique, their looks, their dress, the, the, the brands on their, on, their, on their shoes. Be more than that. Be somebody that's more significant, somebody that's more memorable. Be like a queen. Be like somebody that could be remembered favorably a thousand years later, not somebody that's going to be remembered favorably for the next 14 minutes. This is one of the things that women don't have in their minds because simply their, their attention span is like Twitter minus, uh, minus TikTok. This is a defect in society. Needless to say, men today are aspiring to become athletes, aspiring to become movie stars, aspiring to become celebrities. Even though statistically speaking, it's not only one chance in a billion, it's also an historical flaw if you look at the lives of those very same celebrities you aspire to be like. If you look at the average athlete, average athlete in the NFL, Average athlete retires from the NFL within five years, declares bankruptcy, within five years. That means the guy made 50, 100, $150 million, enough to feed a small civilization, yet he goes broke in a worse shape than he was before he joined the NFL within five years after his career. And guess what? The average career is not the Peyton Manning's. The average career is not the uh, Tom Brady's. The average career is less than four years. That means that he has nine years of good. The rest of his life, he lives in regrets. What a nightmare. Who would want that? It's rather to be poor your whole life than to feel like you're rich and then serve the debts that you owe for the rest of your life. Now, one of the flaws in society today is that people want to be these celebrities. They want to be the LeBron James, the Michael Jordans, the Tom Brady's, all of these people, these movie stars. Even though if you look deep into many people's lives that are celebrities, they're the most shallow excuse of a life that ever existed divorces are standard multiple marriages and adultery standard cheating people standard lying drug addiction uh, all types of other addictions hashem standard Why would you want such a life? Oh, you think you'll be different? So did they. So one of the things that a person needs to understand is that by complying with the law of God, a person is doing themselves a service. They're not giving anything to God. God is perfect with or without you. Whether you exist or you don't, he is perfect. Whether you comply with the law or you don't, he is perfect. He does not need you. Will never need you. By you following the law, you benefit, you are doing a service to yourself, but it's certainly not easy. Why? Because you have to fight your inner inclinations, you have to build your character, build who you are, because naturally you're coming into the fight with your hands behind your back, you're coming into the fight with two black eyes, you're coming into the fight with a few missing teeth, you're coming into the fight without realizing you're even in a fight. This is one of the most important messages that the has is telling us here today, where a person needs to know, in order to follow Allah, get ready to fight. Who? Yourself, your inner inclinations that are evil, your inner inclinations that are flawed, your inner inclinations that like addiction because you don't realize the damage that it causes you, whether it's drugs or it's women or it's this or it's that. All of these addictions are bad. And one of the things that a person needs to overcome is these inborn tendencies. And therefore he would be able to accustom himself to have his deep understanding rule and his intellect control him. Meaning let your mind, your intellect, your wisdom, let the facts, let the facts and the wisdom and experience dictate your steps. Not the things you hear about on the internet, or the things that appear one way and may end up being another. Don't let your feelings decide which way you're going to go, who you're going to marry, who you're going to uh, to be friends with, who you're going to watch, and who you're going to invite. Let your mind, your mind that has facts in it, a mind that it requires a lot more effort to develop, let that dictate. What your decisions are, not your emotions that are here today, gone tomorrow. One of the things that the Chazonish is trying to tell us here is that if we let the intellect rule, it'll enhance our constant awareness of the importance of submitting to our inner sense and elevate, uh, elevated conscious, meaning when a person uses their intellect their intellect that's obviously comprised of truth, their intellect that's comprised of facts, not emotions, not uh, 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 one-liners, not shock jocks, actual real information, information that removes all emotions, information that is as straight as an arrow, information that's black or white, correct or wrong, information that's going to dictate what is right and what is wrong, based on reality, not based on some emotion and some popularity contest. When a person uses that information, uses their intellect, this is going to help them elevate that inner conscience, That part of God that God put in you, when he blew a a, a neshama into Adam Rishon, that part will start lighting up. That part will be the dominating force in your life. That part is going to make you a much more spiritual person because you're acting accordingly. But if a person acts according to their emotions, then the difference between you and some cow in Arkansas is nothing. The difference between you and some pig in Texas, nothing. The difference between you and some terrorist nothing difference between you and some anti-semite nothing why it's all emotional based it's all emotional based and it's irrelevant of whether a person is jew or gentile in this regards this is one of the most important aspects of it these are things that are relevant to all of mankind these are relevant to all of mankind if a person will elevate himself will elevate themselves through the truth of the Torah itself, that person will arrive at a much better destination than they can possibly imagine. But if they don't, their destination is doomed. There is no second place that's good. There is no second place. It's either amazing or it's a nightmare. There is no in-between. There's no gray area. No gray area in life. There's no gray area in eternity. It's either a person has an amazing life or a person has one tragedy after another with a few breaks in-between. This is one of the things that a person needs to train themselves, train themselves to become a spiritual person, distancing themselves completely from coarseness, from being rude, from being rough, from being insulting, from being damaging. Now, of course, people mistake being brutally honest with being obnoxious. Oh, yeah, I'm brutally honest. And by the way, they say all types of horrible things. That's not being brutally honest. That's being just a, a jerk that's being obnoxious, that's being a person that's simply an idiot, that's not being uh, brutally honest. Brutally honest is if you say the facts as they are, even though it may offend certain people, but that's not your intention. But if your intention is to deliver a message that you know is going to insult somebody, but not yield any good as a result, the better good is not greater than the insult, then obviously you're a moron for doing it, and certainly you are insensitive. So a person needs to understand the difference between these things, because if they become a much more spiritual person, there are going to be times that they're going to be brutally honest, but at the same token, they're going to be honest for the better good for the greater good not to build themselves a stage not to make themselves some type of a uh, of of stage where they are better than everybody else but rather a place where everybody can get to a place that they're trying to build everybody with them not everybody beneath them these are the things we learned in our last year and Hashem, we're going to continue now building on it in the very same chapter in the chazonish in the uh chapter 4 section 8. And the Chazunish continues and he says the following If the meticul- meticulousness in and Allah and observing the laws of the Shukhanaguch are easier to accommodate and more effective in refining one's character traits in general, they're also a cure for all corrupted traits in particular. What are we saying here? What are we saying here? Well, let's see. We'll build it up and then we'll go back. We'll build it up and then we'll go back. For instance, the habit of patience is a cure for anger and taking offense. The habit of quickness is a cure for laziness and indifference. The habit of accepting the ridicule of others is the cure for seeking honor. One who is particular in his actions acquires a great and strong trait of endless love for being particular. This love will enable him to despise all his opponents even though those opponents are childhood friends namely the group of bad traits that he delighted in as a child meaning childhood friends is not people but rather it's the inner traits that you've had your whole life so let's see let's dissect it let's go into it trying to figure out how we can use our age-old teachings of the holy torah and apply it to our lives to make it a better world as of dealing with the relevant problems of today and not ignoring them or running away from them or thinking they're going to go, go away like a bad smell if the meticulousness the very same meticulousness that we said that is going that is necessary but is only possible if we overcome our inborn tendencies and our natural tendencies that very same meticulousness that meticulousness to the law and observing the law of the Shulchan are easier to accommodate and more effective in refining one's character traits in general, then they are also a cure for all corrupted traits in particular. Meaning that if following this law is going to help you solve this problem of now, whatever it is, let's say if uh, you're, uh, you know, your patience right now, your patience right now to wait for the khazan to finish, even though he's taking a little longer than usual. And you're going to stay in shul. You're not going to run away. Your patience right now, it may, it's going to help you serve God better because everybody can still pray. No one's walking out, right? If it worked there, that means that your patience overall that's caused by following the law can help you overcome a lot more problems just that particular problem that day. This is what it's trying to tell us right now in a small aspect but when a person is meticulous in this law when he's meticulous in observing the law that is not only going to help him refine his character traits but remove all of the corrupted character traits altogether now the difference between refining yourself and removing the corruption altogether seem minuscule, but they're a world apart. When a person was born with a trait of anger, they're a hothead. They're inclined to get angry not only quickly, but really angry. They get aggressive, they break stuff, they yell, the neighbors hear, all types of things. Once that person starts learning Torah, they realize that anger has no business in a religious person's life. Anger has no business in a servant of Hashem. Anger has no business being there. But of course, just stopping anger is not possible, just like it's not possible to stop anything that, is, uh, that you've grown up doing your whole life. So a person will start learning Musar, developing their character, following more of the laws, Following the laws that require you to wake up early in the morning to go pray, the law that requires you to be clean, to, both in, in, behind closed doors, outside of closed doors, the, the laws that require you to be generous, you know, with, with your money, not with other people's money, the, the laws that require you to be honest when people see you and when people don't see you, the laws that are the laws of Judaism all of the different details not just the sabbath and the holidays and, and and eating kosher but everything else all of the ethical laws all of the laws of the, the small details the big details all of those things when a person starts observing more and more of them little by little he will find himself getting angry less often and on fewer things if he continues to work on himself that anger will ultimately dissipate into nothing why because the more a person is observant of the law the more a person is going to learn about it and become more observant and apply it to their life in such a fashion that this becomes their mission in life then that person is going to develop a closer connection with their creator a closer connection with their creator that where they realize that they're en od milvado, that there's nothing else but him, meaning that when a person comes to you, and tells you something that would typically make you upset, instead of getting upset, you become a small version of King David, where Shimi Ben gira came and cursed him, a klalanim Klalanim retzet Klala is a is is multiple curses. He called them a. A a child out of wedlock, a, a murderer, an adulterer, and so on and so forth. Several different curses. He cursed him, but not only cursed him, he cursed him in front of his entire army. Meaning that King David was in a position of power. King David was a king. He was in a position of power. He had his army next to him. I mean, this is like public embarrassment. And instead of killing him, King David says, God told him to curse me. Meaning, if I didn't deserve what he said, God wouldn't allow it. it would, he wouldn't allow it to happen. That means that instead of being upset at him for cursing me, I have to investigate myself to see why do I deserve this. Why do I deserve this? Because if I didn't deserve it, certainly this wouldn't happen. Now, of course, this is a elevated level that's beyond our comprehension. But the point still is that a person that is more observant of the Torah laws is going to connect to God in such a fashion where they realize that everything is from him. That flat tire is from him. That raise you got at the job is from him. Got fired, that's from him. You had a kid, that's from him. You got married, that's from him. Divorced, that's also from him. Your friend spoke about you behind your back, that's from him. You lost money in the stock market. That's from him. You just got an inheritance of zillions of dollars. That's also from him. Everything is from him. And there's nothing else but him. Everything is from him. Therefore, if this person or this thing or whatever event out there is in front of me, is facing me, is attacking me, that's also him. Why should I be upset at him? Why should I be upset at him? I'd rather be connected to him instead of being upset at him or her or them let me connect to him let me see let me investigate myself and figure out where did i go wrong in order to deserve this now it could be that this is a test and a test only or it could be this is a rebuke or both but nonetheless the more connected i am to the creator the more i understand that there is never a reason to be angry why it's all from him by being angry that means i'm giving power to a different entity hence the reason why the gemara the talmud the holy talmud tells us a person that expresses their anger by throwing something by ripping something by an aggressive way you could already consider this person an idol worshiper why an idol worshiper because he's already following the ways of the satan where today he tells him this he does this tomorrow he tells him that he's gonna do that the way he tells him this one got him angry so he expresses his anger tomorrow you tell him to get angry somewhere else he expresses anger there he follows the satan so one day the satan's gonna tell him go worship an idol he's gonna worship an idol too because that's the ultimate destination of the satan that's where he wants to take everybody so a person needs to understand if you express your anger at somebody else that means you're giving that entity that person some form of power that's separate from God above, you're not allowed to be angry. Needless to say, it is literally almost 100% idolatry to a certain extent. Why? You're giving a different entity power. Now, of course, most normal people don't do this intending to go against God, but this is indeed the actual act. It's just like somebody meant to shoot the enemy because the enemy was threatening somebody, but by mistake, they ended up having collateral damage and and, and shooting one of the people that is a uh, a victim, one of the hostages. They didn't mean to, but it still happened. You still killed somebody. That's just simply a reality. So a person needs to understand if you are going to be a servant of God, you have to work on these things. You have to overcome these things. And by following the law, by following the law of God, a person little by little will refine themselves to the point of how much they follow the law. The more they follow the law, the more inclined they are to refine their character to the point of destroying the evil that's within them altogether. Meaning, it's not only for the sake of refining the law, but actually curing the corrupted trait altogether and removing it because a person that has 100% emuna, 100% faith in the creator, realizing that everything is from him, that person will never be angry once in their life. That person will never be arrogant once in their life. That person will never be stingy once in their life. That person will never be sad for a second in their life. That person is literally living as if they're in heaven already now why they're connected to the one and only above and they know everything is from him now of course we're not on that level but we certainly can aspire it's much more admirable to aspire to become that even if you are a world away from being a perfect person than aspiring to become some guy that shoots a basketball or some guy that plays in movies and some guy that's here today gone tomorrow eaten by the maggots and the worms a person should aspire to be holy not aspire to be rich in in material that's here today gone tomorrow material that's given to him or taken from him by god himself this is one of the flaws in society that we have today people aspire to be things that are temporary people aspire to be things that are most likely unholy the opposite of what they're supposed to aspire to have so one of the things that the chazonish is teaching us already from the get-go is that by following the law you will see that not only is it going to help you refine your character, but the more you follow it and the more meticulous you are in following the law, the more you will ultimately cure that corruption that's within you. Now of course, each one of us has multiple things. We all have a few missing limbs, a few missing are, a few missing this, a few missing that. We all have a few things. None of us only has one thing to work on in our whole life but you can't work on everything in one day. But guess what? The beauty of the holy Torah is that once you start working on something, as you improve it, the other things come along for the ride too. That's the beauty. That's the beauty. I remember when we used to be, uh, you know, kids playing football and lifting weights and all that stuff. And one of the things that the coaches always pushed is for the athletes to do squats. And we always wondered, you know, as kids, why do we need to do squats? Let's do bench pressing, let's do dumbbells, let's do this, let's do that. And a lot of times you'd see guys that are bodybuilders, they're huge on top, but they have little chicken legs. They have little chicken legs. Now, if you ever had a uh, competition, if there was ever a competition of strength between that guy and a guy that's perhaps even half his size, but still physically fit, The guy that's half of his side would usually win. And the reason why is because when a person has strength in his legs, the rest of the body gets stronger. Needless to say, the same concept is here. Where when a person starts using the law to improve themselves as a person, become more meticulous with the law and improve a certain character trait, whether it be the stinginess or the arrogance or the anger or whatever else that's out there, there are endless supply of bad traits. Whatever it is that they're working on, the more they work on themselves the more they improve themselves the more they strengthen their other character traits as well all of a sudden their anger has gone down and their patience has gone up their anger has gone down and their arrogance also went down along with it their anger went down and their humility is going up and the person is starting to become more of a mensch more of a decent human being but needless to say the person has to continue working and if they want to completely eradicate all of the corruption that's within them it's going to require an ongoing lifelong process this is the ultimate purpose of a person individually that's what the Vilna says 200 or so years ago that if a person came to this world and did not Fixed their character flaws. For what were they created? Meaning, they did not achieve their purpose. Meaning, even if they came here and they observed Shabbat and they ate kosher and they uh, gave tzedakah and they did nice things, but they still remained that corrupted person inside. They're still that arrogant person. They're still that stingy person. They're still whatever it is that's within them. Nothing has changed there. They haven't completed their mission they haven't completed their mission why that's what you were created for that's what you were created for so a person that is meticulous in alaka and observing the law of the Ruch are easier to accommodate and more effective in refining one's character traits in general they're also a cure for all corrupted traits in particular and now he gives us a few examples the first one he says the habit of patience is a cure for anger and taking offense. If a person is patient, imagine having some more patience. Today, patience is like a fantasy. The average person does not even know what patience look like. They think that if they send a text message and you don't respond, the second that they know that you've seen that text or the computer tells them or the phone tells them they saw a text because there's a little check mark, Next to the message they sent you, and you don't respond right away, that means that oh, you, you don't want to respond. You hate them. You're ignoring them. Uh, you're 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 dodging them. You uh, you you're, you have some type of uh, uh, plot against them, or or you're, you whatever it is. Like people have all these crazy thoughts. Why? Because their patience simply does not exist. Their patience doesn't exist. They expect immediate relief for whatever pain they have. And this thought process of wanting instant gratification is the ultimate generator of most of people's pain today. Again, people want immediate relief to their pain. Their pain, which is their lack of patience. They want immediate relief. They want an immediate response, an immediate answer, and an re- immediate relief to whatever question they have that desire to have immediate relief and lack of patience, in fact, instead of giving them immediate relief, it creates more pain than you can possibly imagine. Why? Because they want that relief and it's impossible to ever live up to that. It's impossible for anybody to live up to that, to give them that constant relief. They're forced to, number one, constantly look for different sources of relief. A never-ending chase of their own tale they're constantly looking for a new relief new friends new spouses new jobs new this new that new food new favorite new hated new this constant new nothing is ever enough why they want immediate and this is not immediate but it used to be immediate yeah then it slowed down on me are you sure it slowed down or you uh you sped up i don't know it's just not good It's just not good. It's never good. Nothing's ever good. They move on and on and on. It's constant replacement, constant replacement. They cannot stay at a single job for more than a few months or a year. They cannot stay at a single relationship for more than a little while. They cannot stay with anything for an extended period of time. Why? Because they want something that does not exist. They think life is a computer. Life is Google. That's what happened to them. This is the reason why companies like TikTok and and Twitter and all these companies that have short little tidbits. That's why it's succeeding because people literally have programmed themselves. It's not society broking them. It's not uh, the government programming them. It's they programmed themselves to want immediate relief and actually expect it and when they don't get it they replace it with something else this is why companies like facebook and other social medias they're not long-term companies these are companies that are literally obsolete literally the day after they're created why their time in this world if they stay the same is gone they're they're not going to stay why because people people are not going to be happy with the same thing they're not going to be happy with the same thing. They'll be happy for a little while until something else fits their needs. What about the relationship you have with this company? They have a million and a half posts you made over the last five, ten years. Oh yeah, that was fun. Okay, next. That's it. No qualms about it. Everything becomes MySpace. Everything becomes old technology. Everything becomes DOS, Atari. Everything becomes Commodore 64 and a bunch of things that probably some of you don't even know existed because you're so young. Needless to say, these are things that we have programmed ourselves for this immediate gratification generation and unfortunately this immediate gratification generation is the most depressed generation in history even though materially it's the wealthiest generation in history if you look at the lives of our forefathers 100 years ago 200 years ago 400 years ago poverty was standard poverty was standard but people were happy today Wealth is standard. Today, success is standard. Today, every neighborhood has some winners. Every neighborhood has somebody that made it. Every neighborhood has something, but yet misery everywhere. Divorce everywhere. Hatred everywhere. Why? Why? Because people feel like they need to be satisfied immediately. This is the reason why they cannot have successful relationships, successful marriages, successful parenting. They expect their kids to be grown up at three years old. They expect their wife to be some computer machine and at the same time some model they saw on some filthy internet site. They expect their husband to be some money machine, some uh, uh, patience machine, some psychiatrist, psychotherapist and psychologist all at one and at the same time to be some movie star too. They expect all of these things right away and when they don't get it, It's only a matter of time before they replace it. Hence the reason why divorce lawyers are are making a fortune. Divorce lawyers are making a fortune. The wedding halls should be shut down. Why you should turn them into divorce halls? Because there's many more divorces than there are weddings in all of society today. It's literally a tragedy. But it's a tragedy that we are, that's self-inflicted. Society at large is inflicting itself. We are people that are creating our own depression. Simply because we have no patience, we want immediate gratification. So the first thing we do, we constantly look for replacement, replace, 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 everything, replace. Then after that, then after that, when it's not possible to replace, what do we do? We start delving into it. Why is he not responding? Why didn't they call me back? Why didn't they respond to my email? Oh, they probably don't want to do business with me. Ah, oh, she probably cheating on me. Ah. Oh, Probably uh it's conspiring against me. Oh, they're probably this, they're probably that, and all the thoughts and all the suffering, all of the thoughts are negative. Nobody gives the benefit of the doubt to the other party. Nobody gives the benefit of the doubt. They can watch a million and a half lectures about Nahumish Gamzu and Nabal Shem Tov giving the benefit of the doubt and Kafskut and benefit of the doubt, and while they're watching it, they're not giving somebody else the benefit of the doubt. Oh, he didn't respond yeah he probably he probably went the other way probably went the other way oh, he, he probably hates me oh he probably this he's probably cheating probably that constant negativity and what ends up happening nine out of ten times they're wrong but yet they suffered as if to a right the whole time they suffered because in their mind this person is cheating this person is lying This person is is, is going behind their back. This person is ignoring them intentionally. This person hates them. This person is this and they're suffering in their head. Ooh, and if a person is not a busy person and all they have in their life is just a few contacts, a few different things oh, the amount of suffering that's going on in their life. Why? Because they have all the time in a day to think all of the conjured up nightmare thoughts they can possibly imagine literally the end is simply their imagination and they will think every possible nightmare possibility that's out there cheated lying oh they're part of the uh, fbi or maybe it's the cia maybe they're part of the new world order maybe, who are you talking about the cleaning lady what the cleaning lady is part of the new world order what does it make sense no, it doesn't make sense to clean the lady's part of the New World Order. No, it I don't even know if the New World Order is even real. What are you talking about? How did you get there? Oh, I don't know. She didn't respond to my text. When did you send her a text? Oh, like two minutes ago. We may need to institute you. Oh, so maybe you're part of the New World Order. Oh, you know how many people like this I know? People are psychopaths, but it's all self-inflicted. You can't even help them. Only the holy Torah can help them. And only if they accept it on themselves that what I believe my predisposition is wrong. I have to fix myself. I have to fix myself. When something doesn't happen right away, that is normal. If he doesn't respond, if she doesn't respond, whether in time or at all. That's normal. That's normal. The immediate gratification mentality is abnormal. Is abnormal. And a person that expects the world to dance to their tune without an end is a person that is constantly going to suffer. All of the worst thoughts that can possibly exist will go into their head about every one of their relationships which means they will actually not only self-destruct but they'll also destroy the relationships without anything ever happening do you ever have one of those relationships where all of a sudden the person doesn't answer you anymore you send them a message you were friends already for a year two years three years whatever it is five years and all of a sudden you send them a message they don't respond to you okay maybe they didn't get the message it hopefully you're a normal person, not crazy. Oh, they didn't get the message, okay, fine. Send a message a week later. Or if you're a psychopath, five minutes later. Still don't respond. Oh, maybe their phone broke. Okay. A week later, they probably fixed their phone by now. Send another message. Still don't respond. Oh, maybe they, they don't have money to buy the phone. I'll send them an email. Surely they have an email, they have an email at work. Send an email, hey, how you doing? They don't respond to the email either. Oh, maybe my email went to uh, Spam. Okay, so uh, you know what? Let me just, uh, if I see him, if I see him at, uh, usually he likes to go there, I'll see him at synagogue. And you see them and they see you and they sometimes don't even say hello. Sometimes they do, but they walk pa- past you as if you, they don't really know you. Do you ever have those relationships? You know how those, th- those things happen? They happen in people's minds. All of those things, those relationships that simply just, they're solid one day and gone the next, that all happen in somebody's mind where that person had decided to end that relationship, simply thought of all types of things, concluded a bunch of different things without verifying. They heard it either from somebody that has a big mouth that's full of lies and all types of other nasty things, or they simply thought it to themselves, they concluded to themselves, and therefore they ended something that is unfixable. Unfixable. Why? Because even if they come back a year, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven years later, hey, by the way, listen, I'm sorry. I haven't talked to you for the last five years. I thought that uh, you uh, did such and such, but actually, you know what? I just ran into that person. I asked them about it. They had no clue what I was talking about. So really I was wrong. I'm sorry about that. Okay. Thanks for the sorry, but I moved on with my life. So even the apology doesn't help. Why? You've destroyed it already. You've destroyed it already. How did you destroy it in your mind? in your mind. Why? Because you wanted immediate gratification. You wanted immediate answers. You wanted immediate things. You had no patience to find the truth. You had no patience to verify. You had no patience to get to the bottom line. You had to get to a point now and you decided now and you decided wrong. These types of things happen all the time. People literally end relationships based on imagination. People end up destroying their lives destroying all types of things, based on things that don't exist. But this is a product of society that doesn't have Torah. Because had a person had the holy Torah in their life and put, submitted themselves to the law, things like this wouldn't happen. Somebody said, yeah, but I'm religious, but it still happened to me. Following Shabbat, observing Kashrut, being modest, doesn't necessarily make you uh, religious. makes you observant with some mitzvot but to be here to where the is saying that requires a lot more work requires a lot more work than just following a few laws if you are deciding things based on emotions if you are deciding things based on imagination you have a long way to go long and this robot is the vast majority of society today the media is based on emotions headlines are thought up based on emotions. What's going to get the biggest emotional uh, response. That's how they decide what's gonna be on the front page. That's how they decide what's gonna be the title of a book or or a title of a news report or title of a video or title of anything. What's going to get the most likes? What's going to get the most clicks? What's going to get the most reaction? Even if it's not true, even if it's not true, even if it's gonna destroy lives, even if it's gonna cause problems, what's gonna get us the most emotion? And a person that is a product of society rather than a product of God is simply causing themselves to be a victim. No one is causing you to be a victim. You choose that life. You cannot blame the media. You cannot blame the government. You cannot blame society. You have to blame yourself. Why? You're in charge of your life. Just like you are in charge of putting your pants on one leg at a time. You're in charge of whether you're modest or not. You're in charge of whether you eat, when you eat. You're in charge of where you work, why you work, who you work for. You're in charge of all of those things. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. You're a big person. You decide for yourself. For this, you also have to decide yourself. What's the purpose of your life? Who do you listen to? If you decide you're going to listen to terrorists like Farrakhan, that's your choice. That's your choice. If you decide you're going to listen to the Holy Torah, that's also your choice. That's also your choice. If you decide you're going to insult based on rumors, that's your choice. If you're going to attack based on fact, that's also your choice. What are you going to do? So the holy sages are teaching us things rather than preaching to us. Where they're telling us there are certain tools that you have at your disposal that will help you relieve so much pain from your life. Where if a person uses the Torah in order to develop patience, that patience, that patience will alleviate the pain you have from anger. The pain you have from taking things in a negative way, taking offense. So many people get offended by the smallest things. Oh, you mentioned black. I'm black. Did I insult black? No, but you said it. Okay, so what what should I say? Brown? Burgundy? Yellow? Dark orange? Green? What? What do you want me to say? Say African American. But you're not from Africa. Okay, but you still considered that. Okay, fine. Oh, you said uh, homosexual. Okay, what do you want me to say? Toiva? Disgusting? Filth? What do you want me to tell you? Someone that does things the wrong way, the opposite way. What, what do you want me to say? No, you should say LGBTQA, ABCDEFG. I'm never going to say that. To remember it is already requires a certain amount of brain power I don't want to use. But people get offended. People get offended by the smallest, dumbest things in the world. Why are you getting offended? Oh, you spoke to me this way. How did I speak to you? You raised your voice. Was I insulting to you? No, but you raised your voice. That's my tone of voice. Yeah, but why can't you speak lower? I don't know. It's not the way that I speak if I'm passionate about something. Oh, that's offensive. You can't help it. You can't can't appease these people. They're offended by everything. Today, people are offended by what they choose to be offended. Yesterday, if you said anything against... The Holocaust, that was offensive. Today, no problem. Yesterday, if you said anything about, uh, you know, a, uh, homosexuals, this was something that, uh, you know, it's not a problem. Normal, to be against homosexuals. Today, you're uh, banned, corrupt, uh, you know, practically uh, lynched in society. How could you be against homosexuals? Yeah, but throughout all of history. Every civilization has been against homosexuals, including the homosexuals. So today, things are a little bit upside down. A person that works on themselves, works on themselves in such a way where they develop patience. That patience will be the cure for their anger and for their taking offense. Why? If you're patient, you're going to let time do its job. And you'll see that most things that would naturally make you upset. If you let time do its, t- do its thing, you'll see that it actually worked out better than you thought. He didn't call you back, not because he was ignoring you. He didn't call you back because he was making calls on your behalf in order to give you good news by the time he called you back. You see, they didn't respond to your email, not because they don't care about what you have to say didn't respond because the email went to spam. And only after they ran into you in the streets and they asked you, how are you doing? I'm still waiting for your message. And you say, I sent you the message three days ago. And they asked you when, let me check. And they check right in front of you. And they see that your message went to spam. And you see, wow, this, this was all a misunderstanding. You, you went to, a you know, you didn't get the message. You can't be mad at somebody who didn't get the message. When you let time do its thing, you'll see that really the anger was wrong to begin with. And even more so, when it comes to taking offense, if you have patience, you'll see that most people don't intend to offend you. If you pay attention to what they're trying to tell you, you'll see that they're not really trying to offend you. There's usually people that are trying to offend you are much more direct. They don't beat around the bush. They don't play games. They usually are pretty direct. And if they're not direct, that usually means that they're not trying to offend you. If anything, they're trying to help you so a person that will work on his patience will ultimately benefit in becoming less angry with people that are beloved to them and also just people that are coworkers and otherwise whereas if a person that continues to be impatient that means that they're going to be prone to anger at the most important people in their life they're going to be offended by everything because no one can ever live up to their standards. No one can ever be a person that's going to be sufficient for them. And their lack of patience will be literally the the, 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 the water that is growing the plant of anger and, uh, and animosity in their life. Then the says also, the habit of quickness is the cure for laziness and indifference. In this generation, one of the common traits that you have to work with with young people is that they're very lazy this is not something that necessarily started now but it's much more standard now where kids today have so much freedom with their time and even kids from the previous generation that are now pretty much adults in their 20s and 30s they have so much freedom with their time that they're prone to be lazy they wake up whenever they want to wake up they sleep whenever they want to sleep and their ur- lack of urgency is standard. They're never really like in a hurry. I know that there's, you know, uh, a world of difference between the mentality of, you know, where I spent most of my life in New York versus the mentality of people in in Florida or in many other places. Quite frankly, where the mentality over there is just get stuff done. Let's, uh, you know, you have something, you have a goal, let's get it done. The mentality here is everything is everybody's like on vacation. Everybody's like on vacation. Take your time. Take it easy. Whenever I get done, I'll get done. That's not necessarily the uh, easiest uh, uh, transition to make, especially if you are faster than the fast, and now you're going to the slower than molasses. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a little bit difficult to uh, to work with. But this is also part of character development. A person has to slow down sometimes in order to deal with certain people. But also, you can't slow you down to the point of a halt, like the current generation has become standard to the, what what they're doing. People literally are so lazy that it's hard to determine whether they're lazy because it's just there's you know that's the way they are or they simply don't care and the line between those two is very thin hence the reason why he's telling you that the uh, uh quickness is a cure for both laziness and indifference because if a person is lazy it doesn't necessarily always mean that he's indifferent doesn't always mean he's indifferent, but it's most of the time it does mean that he's indifferent, that he doesn't really care. But if he's indifferent, he doesn't care. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's always lazy, but sometimes it does. Either way, if a person is gets themselves used to just getting stuff done, it's in front of you, do it. Instead of being a procrastinator, instead of just being lazy, not doing it, just trying to enjoy life much more than be productive in life, then unfortunately, this is the type of mentality that is very destructive uh, for something that has a lot of potential, where uh, this type of thought process is a is is bad. But if a person can fix it, if a person can become quick, uh, and just get things done right away, that will naturally uh, uh, remove their their inclination to be lazy, because it's the exact opposite. And even more so, it's going to cause them to take things more seriously and not spend enough time to have an emotional stake in everything in order to determine whether they care or don't care because they're going to be too busy doing. This is also one of the biggest differences between successful people and failures. You know, the people that fail are not necessarily always lazy bums sitting in the streets. Many times the people that fail are not necessarily those people that uh, are in the streets. Many times there are people that work and they have regular jobs and they have regular lives and whatever it is, but they're still, according to their standards of whether, what they wanted to get to, they're still considered failures. And the reason for that is because those people are typically too busy talking about what they want instead of doing what they need to do. Many people spend a lot of time talking about what they're going to do once they have what they want and not spending enough time actually doing anything about it. So... The a person that is uh, ambitious, person that's a go-getter that gets stuff done. This is a person that is going to be much more likely to succeed than is, f- you know, friends and colleagues and society. Because not because they're necessarily better at everything, but rather because they're putting, they're constantly putting themselves in a position to succeed. Where if success were possible they would be the candidate, whereas the other people that are slow to react or simply too lazy to react, or they're just lethargic or indifferent altogether, those people are not putting themselves in a position to succeed. Hence, the reason why there are fewer people that succeed uh, versus the vast majority of people that don't. It's not because the, uh, the, uh, the skill level is that much better by the successful person versus the rest of society. It's usually because the tenacity, the ambition, the persistence, all of those key things, the key attributes of success are things that that person possesses, whereas the vast majority of society either does not possess any of them or too few of them or too little of some of them in order to put themselves in the right place at the right time. So the uh, uh, person that is going to force themselves to wake up like a lion, go after their, uh, whatever it is that's important to them, that person is going to cure their laziness and their indifference. And there are sometimes guys that uh, contact me, and of course, uh, you know, they, uh, they you know, watch the shulim, they like it, and sometimes they want to be a rabbi, and not because they want to be a rabbi because they love the Torah so much, but rather because they think that, oh, I'm famous, and I want to be famous too, and uh, he has a website, and people know him, and they want this persona. It's really no different than you know people that want to be celebrities in different avenues. At least this is more admirable and more uh, uh, um, productive and helpful for society. Needless to say, it's the wrong reason. If you want to be a if you want to be a rabbi because you want to be famous, if you want to be a teacher because you want to teach the world rather than uh, help the world, then uh, this is the wrong reason to go behind things. But nonetheless. The, uh, the constant issue that uh, I deal with with those people, the young people that want to do it, is that they want something, but they don't want it enough in order to change themselves. Meaning, and it's not just being a rabbi. It's also, I remember when I was on Wall Street. When I was on Wall Street, I, I would literally talk to different guys that would work for me. I had a bunch of employees and a bunch of people that would interview over the years. And everybody wanted one thing, my job. That was like, literally, like they would look at you like, I want that. I want that chair, I want that computer, I want that office, I want that company, I want that logo, I want everything. That's what they want. They thought that they want the end product. And everybody in society always thinks about the end product. They think about the CEO making $50 million a year. They think about the, uh, the, uh, the guy that scored a the touchdown. They think about the, the guy that's uh, on TV, the guy that just won, the guy that just did. They want the end product. Little do they know that it didn't start that way. And quite frankly, even when they know, they don't care. They just still want the end product, not realizing that even if they had the end product, they wouldn't survive 24 hours in those big shoes. Why? Because that person got there, not because... They were born a certain way from a certain background of a certain society or a certain color or a certain speech pattern or a certain intellect. There are plenty of smart people that don't have money and plenty of stupid people that have plenty and quite the opposite also. There are plenty of black people that succeed and plenty of black people that fail. Plenty of Jews that succeed, plenty of people that Jews that fail. There are plenty of everything both success and failures both losers and winners the the difference here rabotai for a person to know as far as their own issue their own efforts is to know that that end product it's not yours why because that end product took time to cook it took time to get there that's why it's there and it's going to be there for a little while whereas if you went there you wouldn't know what to do with that belt You wouldn't know what to do with that trophy you wouldn't know what to do with that check this is the reason why people that win the lotto tend to lose all of the money within a a short period of time they got a whole lot of money in a very very short period of time all they had to do is buy a ticket they got a huge amount of wealth but they have no concept of what to do and how to deal with this fortune so all they do is simply fulfill their desires And the desires of whoever became their friend, even if they hated them their whole life. And everybody gets a car, and everybody gets a house, and everybody gets a business investment, and everybody gets this, and everybody gets that, and everybody gets this, and everybody gets that. And they don't realize that the money's running out. They don't realize the money's running out. And before you know it, a few hundred million dollars are gone as if they were a few hundred dollars. And the average person that wins the lotto says that it actually was a curse more than it was a blessing. Because they didn't know how to handle it. And the same concept goes with celebrity, with athletes, with all of these types of people that come into money. Very quickly, they tend to fail miserably in their life, much more, much more by a factor of a million than someone that builds their wealth slow and steady. Someone that builds their their marriage slow and steady. Like these relationships, where they start off with really passionate right away. Oh, I love him. He's the love of my life. And, then, and she's my soulmate. And even though they met just met 15 minutes ago, and it's really all lust. It has nothing to do with love. Nonetheless, those relationships are, you know, virtually it's impossible for those relationships to work. Why? They're building a fantasy. They're building a fantasy. That love that they think they have is something that takes 20, 30 years to build. And 20, 30 years... Not just full of I love yous. 20, 30 years of trials and tribulations and difficulties and overcoming and tests and obstacles and staying together and overcoming and staying together and overcoming and difficulties and ups and downs and fun and not so much fun and all that stuff. Whereas you little babies still in a diaper think that you love each other. Okay, good luck with that one. See if you guys are together by next week. And that's the problem. That's the problem today. People don't understand That what they aspire to have is not something that they can handle. It's not something that they can handle. So the Chazunish continues and he says the following. He says that the habit of accepting ridicule of others is the cure for seeking honor. This is against all logic. Why? Because today everybody has a voice. Everybody has a voice. Everyone is Hollywood reporter. Everyone is Wall Street Journal reporter. As soon as they see something, they say something. You don't even need to advertise it anymore. See something, say something. They see something. Everybody says, don't say anything, but they say it anyway. They report it on the internet. Everybody's a cameraman. Everybody has an opinion to say about something. Somebody said something on the internet. People feel like they need to make a video about it. People need to write an article about it. Everybody's a blogger. Everybody's a Twitter everybody's uh, some type of tur, something everybody has something to say about something so the logic of accepting ridicule is against human nature today why would I accept ridicule why would I accept people making fun of me why would I accept people criticizing me in fact if you look online for people that do get a good deal of ridicule, good de- good, uh, get a good uh, deal of, uh, of uh, criticism, you'll see that either they completely ignore it or they build off of it. They build off of it by pretty much saying, we beat our haters, we overcame our haters. Our haters said, we'll lose, we ended up winning. And they fight their haters fire with fire. But this is not what it's saying here. It's not saying fight your haters fire with fire. Quite the opposite. It says accepting ridicule of others as, accused, as a cure for seeking honor. Meaning someone made fun of you. He called you a rabbit instead of a rabbi. He called you a you know, an insulting name instead of your real name. He made fun of the way you look. He made fun of the way you dress. He made fun of the, the, the amount of money you have or you don't have. He made fun of whatever your weight or whatever it is. He made fun of your thought. This Rabotai, the logic we have today is that you fight back. What? I'm this, you're even worse. I'm that, you're even worse. I'm that, you're even worse. You know, to top each other. But the teaching here is not that teaching here is saying oh you just got insulted what do you call you fat well you are fat what what do you call you stupid I mean maybe according to him you are maybe maybe what what do you say you're wrong okay so he said you're wrong what do you say you're uh, you're right but he said you're wrong okay so so what if he thinks you're wrong oh he said that you're uh, not good at uh, speaking Okay, so he said, so maybe you are not really that good at speaking. Oh, he said that you are uh, full of yourself. Okay, so probably you are full of yourself, or maybe you're not, but okay, he said, he said, she said, okay, so what? Why do you have to get, why do you have to lose your cool? Why do you have to be sad? Why do you, why do you care? What do you mean? He said, I'm this. He said, I'm that. Okay, so he said, so what? Maybe it's true. And even when it's not true, so what? He said, "Air came out of his mouth, and you know, some voice came out. So what? Big deal." He said, "You know the truth. If you're a liar, you know you are a liar. You don't need him to very, you know, to to confirm you're a liar or not. And if he says you're a liar, you know you're not a liar." doesn't make a difference if he says you're a liar. It's like somebody saying, the sky is burgundy. You know it's not. It's blue. So if he screams louder, then it's burgundy. Is that going to change your mind? No. Yeah, but if he's yelling at your face, and it's spit and saliva like some type of like, you know, like some animal that has rabies. And he's in your face. No, it's burgundy. No, no, the. Is that going to change anything? No. Yeah, but he's yelling. So what is yelling? He's screaming. Why? He's insulting. Why? Why should a person be that type of reaction? Unmoved. Unfazed. Because a person needs to have a spine and know exactly where they stand with everything that they they stand for. And if you stand for something, you're worth something. But if you don't, you make yourself worthless. Meaning that everything that people are going to say about you is going to affect you it's going to affect you in such a fashion that you're going to be so elastic so so flexible to the point where you become elastic where one day you're going to say this the next day you're going to say that one day you're going to say this the next day you're going to say that you're going to change with the mood you're going to change with the time you're going to change with the public opinion you're going to change with the likes more likes you're going to say this less likes you're going to say that and you're going to change and you're not going to have your own personality your own mindset your own spine your own anything you're going to become the product of society like the news, like the media, like the, uh, the uh, Hollywood, like, like society. A sad excuse for a life. Whereas if you know where you stand, and you stand for something, then no one should really ever move you. And quite frankly, you should take all of those insults as, so what? At the end of it all, I know where I stand. I know what the truth is. They could agree, disagree, fine. If there's some type of validity to what they're saying, certainly a person should review it. But if you know that the sky is blue, as much as you know that the sun is going to shine tomorrow, them saying it's green or it's burgundy is not going to change anything. If you know that God said this, And they're saying otherwise, it doesn't make a difference what they're saying. It doesn't make a difference who says it. It doesn't doesn't matter if the whole world says it. You know exactly what's true and that's it. Now even more so, if a person develops themselves to the point where they accept this ridicule and they accept the world calling them crazy, then that's going to help them become more humble over time why because if a person is not looking for compliments but rather just looking for the truth then eventually they can arrive at the most extraordinarily extraordinary level that they could possibly get to a level of equality emotional equality which is viewing both compliments and ridicule the same. Meaning neither one of them affect you. You're not doing anything that you're doing for the sake of compliments, and you're not going to be affected by the negativity either. You're doing things because this is the right thing to do. You're doing things because this is what you believe in not because you're looking for money or fame or fortune or any type of praise you're not looking for a big and a high five and while you're a genius and while you're amazing and while you're beautiful and while you're this you're not looking for any of that and in fact you get to a point where whether they tell you you're beautiful or you're ugly to you it's the same it doesn't make a difference now the average person in the society today says well i want people to say that i'm beautiful Okay, I feel bad for you, that you're at that level, that you need society's approval to know whether you are good or not. No, I need them to know that I'm attractive. Why? The only person that needs to find you attractive is your spouse. Everybody else doesn't matter. And in fact, it's better they don't find you attractive so it doesn't give you any bad, strange ways and bad, strange decisions. But the average person in society doesn't think that way. The average person in society needs society's approval. Hence the reason why this is so opposite of what our logic is. Accepting ridicule? And that's going to end up with a cure for seeking honor? Yes. Yes. Now, one of the big differences which we covered in the beginning between the preacher Versus the teacher is that the preacher is going to give you a message. Not necessarily a message that's so rele- relevant to you. Not necessarily a message that you even need to hear. Not necessarily a message that affects you. But a message that they want you to think it affects you. A message that they want you to feel like it has to do with you. A message that, in fact, they want you to feel as if you said it yourself. Typically, this is coming from charismatic speakers that have a way with words to get the audience to agree to something that they wouldn't naturally agree with. To agree with their emotions and make an emotional commitment to something that their mind knows is wrong. Now these types of preachers, their main goal is to seek honor by building a stage through people's approval of their thought process, of their preach, of their, of their speech. So they preach some type of convoluted idea that sounds great like this Louis Farrakhan that has an endless amount of followers that are literally one victim after another, one sheep after another that's not even allowed to think for themselves. Show me one of them that actually succeeded in real life, that ended up becoming a decent husband, decent wife, decent son, decent member of society. Show me one. And I can show you a thousand that have it. Why? Because these types of people, they're not there to teach their people things that are going to help them. They're there to teach people things that they want them to learn. They want them to believe that such and such is bad. They want them to believe that such and such is an enemy. They want them to believe that this is and that is important. Even though the average person is unaffected by all three cases. They want them to believe that this is the most important issue on planet Earth at this moment. Much more important than anything else. And how are they going to do that? Typically by bringing up and somehow associating it with things that are important to them. So they're going to say the Jews are bad and they're the enemy. And they're in Hollywood, and they're uh, money, and they're in this. Now the average guy in his audience never met a Jew, and even if he did, didn't necessarily have a bad experience with him. He got some shoes from him, maybe bought some clothes, maybe I don't know, stayed at his hotel, maybe used him as an accountant. More or less, neutral relationship. But Farrakhan and the rest of the anti-Semites are going to tell you no he's bad you just don't see it yet he didn't catch you yet he didn't do this yet he didn't do that yet and the average guy still doesn't "Eh, I I don't know I don't know so what is he going to say while we are suffering and the poverty and people don't have chicken and people don't have turkey and people can't this and all of a sudden person's saying oh yeah you know what last week we didn't have any money to buy this and they last and two months ago we didn't have that and he somehow associates Mamash koach satan, that's the power of the satan associates his negative message with some type of reality that that person experienced at some point in their life and he connects the two dots so now from now on every time that person that poor victim thinks of a Jew or whatever other villain this 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 vile character created than the rest of the people that like him do, that any other time they'll think of a Jew is in a negative way. Why they'll think of that missing check, the missing money, the missing this, even though it has nothing to do with them. This is what our holy Torah calls slick tongue speakers. That's what Hashem calls them, slick tongue speakers. They know how to speak in such a fashion where they'll literally connect two completely unconnected, unrelated topics in order to get the message across. For what purpose? Building themselves a stage. Building themselves a stage higher and higher to increase the fear, the awe, the honor that they get while their audience stays exactly the same or deteriorates over time. Hence the reason why none of their members improve as human beings. None of their members become better people, better contributors of society, better contributors of their community, better clarity of what to aspire to be. And I'll give you an example. Many times the people that unfortunately what taught to hate the jews from the african-american society community culture are taught that the jews had better opportunities while we were in the projects they came for money we didn't have anything they this they run the world we I'll spare you the rest. I'm sure you've heard enough on your own. Now, this is hogwash. Why? First and foremost, no one in the world, even if you combine all of civilizations combined, can compete with the amount of suffering and anguish of the Jewish people throughout all of history, not just the last 70 years. And needless to say, not over the last couple of hundred years. Throughout all of history, there is no comparison. Anyone that looks throughout history will know that to be fact. Whether it was the slavery in Egypt, or the destruction and annihilation of millions of people during the destruction of the first temple, or the second temple, or the Spanish Inquisitions, or the pogroms throughout all of history, whether it be in England, or in Spain, or in uh, Morocco, or all over Europe, constant attacks against the Jewish people, not just the Holocaust. But even if you exclude all of that, the average Jew throughout all of history got used to poverty as a standard. Throughout all of history, the Jewish people as a whole have dealt more with poverty than with wealth. Certainly there were times where we were more successful than others, like any other culture, religion, people, whatever you want to call it, because the Jews are everything. But needless to say, there were times, like the time of Shlomo HaMelech, where gold became like dust. Because there was so much of it, but there were certainly times where literally people had to eat their own kids in order to survive, like at the destruction of the first and the second temple. The starvation was beyond anything comprehensible to anybody living today. Poverty was standard. Now people think, yeah, but that's a long time ago. Now everybody's rich. Okay, okay. How about I tell you about my life? You know, my life, you can't debate. Why? I lived it. When I was 10 years old, we came to the United States. And already when I was 10 years old, guess what? I was in fifth grade, gonna go to school. In my school, public school, there was black kids, there was white kids. And in the school, there was two people that had a job. 10 years old. Me and another Jewish kid. Why? Because both of us were poor. Both of us needed to help the family. Yeah, but what about the other black kids? They also didn't have, no, actually they had much more than us. They had new sneakers every six months. They had new clothes every other day. Apparently their parents were doing better than mine. And guess what? Situation didn't change. We continued working. When I was in high school, I had three jobs two newspaper routes, also worked in a clothing store and a shoe store. And I also played high school football and went to school and had advanced placement uh, classes uh, uh, for college and did really well in school. All at the same time. My teammates, they were black, they played football. You know what else? Nothing. How come I worked so much? Well, that's because if I didn't work, I couldn't... Pay for football. Because my parents didn't have any money to pay for football. And if I didn't work, I also couldn't buy anything else because my, my parents didn't have any money to give me for anything else. Meaning, I have to be self-sufficient. And guess what? I wasn't the only one. There were other kids in my class that were similar. And they were Jews. And guess what? Even the kids that didn't need, didn't need, sometimes will take some extra jobs and typically those guys were Jews. Sometimes those were Spanish guys, but most of the time, Jews. You know why? Because the way we grew up, even though we didn't grow up religious, we grew up where we realized we had to be self-sufficient. And we didn't dream for a second that we're going to become the next big athlete or the next big anything. We knew we had to be providing to the best of our abilities. Now, the guys on my team... Some of them were really good. Trevor Francis, Zarek Norris, the uh, LT, we called him Lawrence Taylor. He even looked like him. All these guys were really good, really good athletes. Some some other guys, I forget their names. These guys were good. Some of them played in college. Some of them thought they're going to become the next big NFL player. You know what they ended up becoming? Nothing. Some of them even less than nothing. Why? Because that was their dream. And their entire dream was to be this football player. Which means that they were brought up with a thought process that this is it. This is where you need to be. You need to think like you're going to be an NFL player. You need to think you're going to be in the NBA. You need to think like you're going to be in uh, whatever, some other sport. And when it didn't happen, like it doesn't happen for the vast majority of athletes, they have nothing to fall back on because many times they're not brought up thinking that the education is priority over the athletics. And sometimes the teachers give them an A even though he should get an F because he's a good athlete. They give him a pass even though he failed and he never even showed up to class because he just scored a touchdown or he scored a bunch of points in a basketball team or he scored a goal in a hockey team or in a soccer team or some other team and many times they abandon their studies and many times they end up leaving school completely clueless when it comes to learning how to think for themselves because that's the purpose of school purpose of school is not to teach you history it's not even to teach you math it's to teach you how to think but since everybody has been thinking for them their whole life, telling them that you're going to become the next big sports athlete, what ends up happening when they don't succeed, they have nothing to fall back on. They either have to stay in college for an extra amount of time, or they end up getting some blue-collar job that, quite frankly, they should have done better than that had they spent the same amount of energy. On their studies as they did on their body and their athletics. This is not a product of Jew versus black. This is a part of society at large, where Shlomo Melech already told us about this nearly 3,000 years ago. This danger, this poison is a product of society already for several thousand years it's as old as time which says in chapter 27 verse 21 a refining pot is for silver and a crucible for gold and a man according to his praises here King Solomon tells us, a very important message. A person can think, oh, silver, that's something to aspire to have. Gold is even better. And all they talk about is the gold and the silver and the title and the winning and the house and the car and the watch and the bling bling and the bling there And the bling there, and the hot girl, and the cold one, and the this, and the that, and all the materialism, and the constant that's their life, and that's what they think, and that's what they want, and that's what they aspire to be. You aspire something, that's what tells me who you are. Based on who you aspire to be, based on what you aspire to be, based on what you admire, what you think is important enough to admire, that's how I know who you are. And if society teaches kids, black, white, green, Jewish, g- Gentile, doesn't make a difference. If you are taught and you allow this to happen to you, happen to your kids, that you should admire. Success based on money, success based on looks, success based on some type of possessions. That's what tells me who you are. And what that is, is you're nothing. Why? Because those things end up being nothing. If you determine what your goals are in life based on assets, based on a balance sheet, that's what you think makes you who you are, you're nothing. You're a zero and you're breeding zeros. It has nothing to do with the Jews. It has to do with you going against the law of God. Because God told you, don't do that. God told you, don't admire those things. Those things, I'll give you if I want, I don't give you if I don't want. Don't make those things your life. Why? Because when you make material possessions, honor, fame, fortune, the the, the aspiration of your life, you're destined for doom. Because, what ends up happening is that you teach your little cute kids that have all the potential in the world to succeed. Jew or Gentile, black, white, green, or, or burgundy. Whatever you are, that little kid, that little possession, that little treasure has all of the potential in the world to be whatever they want. They could be a doctor, they could be a, 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 a diagnostician, a scientist, a scholar, whatever you want them to be. They could be a great rabbi, a sage, someone holy. They could be anything you want them to be, but they could also be a criminal. They could also be a gangster. They could also be a blood or a crip. They could also be some Arab terrorist in ISIS. They could also be some delusional person that thinks there's a real country named Palestine. They could be a lot of different things. You see... What you teach them, that's what they're gonna be. But I don't mean the material, the content that you teach them in some public school that teaches the boys, they should be girls and the boys should be girls. No, 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 I mean what you teach them, what should they admire? What should they admire? How would they know what to admire? I'll tell you how they know what to admire. You see, since we learn about HaKadosh Hu, since we connected our life and committed ourselves to HaKadosh Hu and spent every waking moment we possibly can, Just thinking about Hashem, learning His Torah, learning His books, learning His everything. One of the things that I realized, there was one thing, one thing that I had to fix with with my kids, with the rest of my life, is that, yes, you need to work hard. Yes, you need to be self-sufficient. But at the same token, you need to make sure that you have the right ideology, that you teach your kids to admire the right people and the right things and even though i've always stood for righteousness i've always stood for for honesty i've always stood for certain things that are good but still i needed somebody to admire somebody to look up to because who am I going to tell my kids to admire? Who am I going to tell the kids to admire? Bill Gates? Uh, Warren Buffett? Some guy that's here today, gone tomorrow. Maybe he's a rapist. Maybe he's a, maybe he's a pedophile. Maybe he's a terrorist. Maybe he's trying to kill people with some virus or a vaccine. How can I tell him? What? Because he has possessions? I need somebody to admire. A Kadosh who gave us an endless supply of people to admire. And that's the Jewish sages. Those are the people that taught us righteousness. Those are the people that tell us the word of God. And you know what? Every night... Every single night without fail, Baruch Hashem, we try our best to tell our kids another story about somebody to admire. And you see, I'll show you. I'll show you some examples. These are some of the things that my kids are learning. You see, my kids are learning differently than I did. Why? Because they, I want them to learn better. So one night, we'll read them this book about Rav Steinemann, where it has many, many different stories about Rav Steinemann's life, how holy he was, how committed he was, how many people he helped, how extraordinarily committed he was to learning, how extraordinarily committed he was to helping society, to helping the Jewish people, to helping anyone that needed a hand that he could help, how honest he was, when he didn't necessarily have to give, he still gave. When someone thought something bad about him, he accepted it. All of the attributes that we talked about today, he had in his hand. This is one person my kids will learn about. But if that's not enough you need more so you have another one you have the chazonish the very same chazonish that we're learning his book right now what about his life a few stories about his life so they learn about him and if after we finished that we read this read about the Chafetz Chaim, the holy Chafetz Chaim, that Kodesh, that he saw that the holocaust was happening and told the students the holocaust would happen nine years before it actually happened the holy chavitz Khaim, and how committed he was at the second that he saw that his little shop his little store his little deli was making too much money where the other stores weren't, weren't making enough he closed the store He closed the store. Why? Because the other stores weren't making enough money. So he closed the store because you know people are coming to him too much to buy from him because he's a tzaddik. So he closed the store and he only opened it once a week. But when he saw that people are still coming to him, even that once a week and not enough to the other people, he closed the store completely. I'll survive another way. I'll sell my books. Why? Because he didn't want to hurt his neighbor. What do you mean? But you need to make a living. Yes, exactly, I need to make a living. God will worry about that. God will worry about that. You, you have your kids learn about somebody like this, you're going to learn, you're going to have somebody to admire. And if that's not enough, the, the, the uh, Rabbi Mitzans, Rabbi Kuti al one of the greatest tzaddikim that ever lived, lived with us, among us over the last hundred years, despite watching his wife and 11 kids get murdered in the Holocaust, he still continued, build, build, and build, build a new family, build new yeshivot, build the hospital that I was born in, Laniado, in Netanya, build an empire of Torah and kedusha without ever questioning God for a second. Without ever questioning God, watching his wife and 11 kids get murdered in cold blood by the evil Nazis, still he continued being committed to HaKadosh Baruch You learn from somebody like this, somebody that didn't want to go to sleep because you wanted to learn Torah, somebody that didn't want to stop even though the government went against them, even though people went against them, somebody that went against every odd known to man, still with the word of Hashem. You have your kids admire somebody like this, you have something to admire. And if that's not enough, you learn about one of the people that literally lived among us just a few years ago Yashiv, someone that literally studied torah endlessly knew the entire torah in his mind in such a fashion that's unlike human somebody came to the uh, yeshiva to the place that he went to and was looking Who is this uh where is this a uh, yashiv yashiv you know somebody yashiv i said yes he's over there he goes oh wow he's he goes how do you know him he goes well 80 years ago i was here And he was sitting exactly there, and he's still there. Meaning that man, that Jew, went to the shul, went to the yeshiva, same as Rabbi Yashiv. He went a different way, Rabbi Yashiv went a different way. He did his success, his money, whatever he did, Rabbi Yashiv stayed with the Torah. Guess what? The admirable one, the one we read a book about, is this one, is Rabbi Yashiv. Committed to the Torah, how many people he helped, how many lives he saved. The Baba Salih, who doesn't know the Baba Salih? The Baba Salih is even known by Gentiles. Everyone knows the miracles by the Baba Salih, the holiness of the Baba Salih, but the intricate details of what he had to endure during his life, what commitments he made, what kind of sacrifices he made. This is what we teach our kids about the Baba Salih. And this is, again, just a small token. You have Moshe Feinstein, one of the greatest rabbis that ever lived in America, one of the greatest pioneers of America's Judaism. The holiness and the humility of, 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 of Rav Moshe Feinstein is literally unlike any other. You teach your kid about Rav Moshe Feinstein, you're teaching him how to be humble. Why to be humble? You're, teach, you're teaching him literally humble uh, humility from the source. So this, if this is your hero, this is somebody to aspire to be. The Lubavitcher Rebbe. Everybody knows the Lubavitcher Rebbe. A lot of extraordinary things that he did. An empire that he built. A lot of amazing things that he did. You learn about different things that happened in his life. The, the, the successes, the failures, different intricate details that your kid can aspire to be somebody righteous, somebody that is worth aspiring to be. And of course, how much he suffered in his life, but still never will you ever find a picture of him without a smile. The amount of suffering that he had in his life is literally unbelievable. But yet every picture you will ever find of him has a huge smile on This Rabbutai is true happiness, happiness of Torah. My house, Ba'u Hashem, is full of these books. But then you have the historical lessons, real stories, real stories, not fairy tales, real stories that are full of these little books, little books that teach my kids different things. The little judge talking about a little kid from a few hundred years ago that literally was like a little Dayan, little Dayan in his community, and ended up helping the real Dayanim solve a case when somebody was actually a thief and the kid ended up proving that he really is a thief. This little kid, when it, is, it became part of our holy Torah, part of our teachings. And you teach your kids that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter whether you're big or you're small. If you have the truth, you have the truth. Your kids learn stuff like this. Your kids are going to look good in the eyes of God. The salvation in Yemen, one of the most famous stories from the community in Yemen, where the evil... Uh, 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 Gentiles that uh, that were were, uh, uh, helping the king at the time, which was the king wasn't necessarily much against the uh, the Jews, but he wasn't necessarily for them. But the few people that worked for him hated the Jews and tried to do whatever they could to hurt the Jews. And one time they conspired to hurt the Jews by having the king annihilate all of them. How? They killed the prince themselves right in front of the Jews, but they did, it, uh, they did it in a way where the king didn't see it. So the king believed them when he said that the Jews killed the prince. So this famous story, true story, literally ended up with one of the mikubalim one of the holy sages of the Jewish people came to the, uh, to the uh, place because the king said he's going to kill all of the Jews. He's going to kill everybody, not one, not two. They just, according to these servants, they just killed the, uh, uh, his son, the prince. One of the Jewish sages came, came there and literally resurrected the kid his prince brought him back to life had the kid say who killed you he pointed at the people said it after he proved everything he went back to being dead this was witnessed by thousands of people a true story showing your little kid little things that are big why this is something to aspire This is, if you're part of a nation that's full of miracles, where God brings you salvation, not just at Mount Sinai, not just at Kriyat Yamsuv, the splitting of the sea, not just at the uh, specific events that happened a few thousand years ago, but even things that happened a couple hundred years ago. Things that happened throughout our history. We see that God is with us at all times. These are stories your kids could aspire to have. The villager of Sasov, one of the greatest stories. A person could learn. Endless amount of lessons, endless amount of lessons of the miracles that Hashem made for the for the village of Sasof. The Naktimon ben Goyon, this is a story that's from the Gemara. This is a person that committed everything he had for the sake of allowing people to uh, do their pilgrimage to come to Jerusalem, which included putting all of his money in a line. He was very, very wealthy, putting all of his money in a line to get the wells from some Arab that, uh, or some Roman that... Uh, that had the well. Some people say it was Arab, some people say it was a Roman. Needless to say, it doesn't make a difference. Long story short, it was an open miracle where Hashem stopped, the uh, reversed the sun, and made it rain in order to fulfill this open miracle. This is something that was a miracle in front of millions of people in, in, in open daylight a couple of thousand years ago. And this is, again, a kid's version story, but still all the facts are there. These are the things, the lion tamer. This is one of the stories of one of the tzaddikim from just a... uh three, four hundred years ago, where he came to collect charity for the uh, poor people of Jerusalem. He went to Turkey and uh, uh, as soon as they uh, uh, put the, uh, uh, the the ship at the bay, they saw that the lions were freed and were t- terrorizing the town. The, sh- the, uh, the ship reversed, but this Tzadik told them, no, no, I want to go back to the land. Like, what do you mean? There's, there's lions there, they're killing people. Even the soldiers are scared of them he said i paid you to bring me to turkey bring me to turkey so they brought him to land and everyone obviously is waiting to see this guy get eaten up by the few lions that were free only to see him grab the lions one after another by their ear and carry them like dogs back to the king and putting him in the cage literally in open daylight in open daylight countless people saw this type of stuff these are the stories my kids see these are the stories you want your kids to see the, uh, uh, the brave butcher, the one that uh, committed himself to the Torah, to celebrating Pesach, despite the fact that he knew that different bandits were planning to attack the community and kill all of the Jewish people because they knew they were celebrating Pesach. Everyone was hiding, getting ready to fight back against the, uh, these uh, bandits, except this butcher. The butcher stayed celebrating Pesach. Why? He said, Listen, I read in the Torah that Hashem saves us specifically on Pesach. So I'm going to commit to that. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, but shouldn't you be hiding? Shouldn't you be this? No. God said it. I'm following it. Following things to the word. Following things like a fanatic. But following things to the point where the entire town was saved because of him. The entire town was saved because of him. That commitment, your kids hear a story like this that gives them strength to overcome things, overcome obstacles, overcome naysayers, overcome all types of things that a person is going to deal with during their life. They have somebody to look up to. They have somebody that they can compare this story to that story, some difficulty to compare it to. Saved by the wedding. This is a guy that was very generous and helped a couple get married. And that sadaqah that he gave ended up saving his life because when he went home to celebrate Hanukkah, some bandits that followed him went into the house and they, uh, they wanted to kill him. They tied him up. But the couple that got married forgot to invite him and they said, since we didn't invite him, we're going to go to his house and invite him personally since he paid for the whole thing. They went to invite him and they saw that the, the bandits that were about to kill him, they saw they tied him up, they piled on all of them, killed, you know, arrested all of them and saved his life. Point is, that tzedakah, the charity that he gave, ended up saving his life. As it says in the Torah, Tztaka tzivmi mabit, Tztaka will save your life. The uh, the dancing bear, this is one of the evil uh, 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 Gentiles that tortured the Jewish people by causing them to dress up as animals and dancing for them, and uh, then throw them in a dungeon. And If they didn't dance good, he would simply kill them or torture them. Long story short, one of the people that was arrested... Ended up being saved by Eliyahu Navi, who taught him how to dance while wearing this outfit, this bear outfit. He ended up uh, uh, exposing the uh, the evil and the uh, and uh, the bad and the evil people. Long story short, this is a story where you could show your kids: yes, we were underdogs, but God came to save us. God came to save us, even in personal stories. The poisoned bread, a very famous story where the kids uh, uh, can learn that you can't trust anybody but the jewish sages why the jewish sages said that we cannot eat the uh, uh certain things from the Goim. Uh, in, in previous generations we uh, couldn't help it but uh, sometimes we'd have to buy bread from the Goim. we'd have to buy bread from the gentiles open bread baked bread one time when one of the uh, the, the rabbi uh helped a uh, non-jewish kid that was uh working for his father working for his father selling bread Uh, because this uh, this kid dropped all of the uh, money that he uh, sold the bread and he was crying he was scared to go to the house because he knew that his father and his stepmother were going to uh, beat him up so the so the rabbi saw this gentile kid he said why are you crying he's told him why he's crying so he gave him the money time passed maybe about 10 15 years passed a soldier shows up at the rabbi's uh, uh, house and he tells him listen you don't remember who i was but i'm the kid that you helped 15 20 years ago I want to tell you something. My father is conspiring to poison your entire community with, with poison in, your, in the bread uh, because you guys buy bread from us once a year uh, after Pesach, your holiday Pesach. Don't buy the bread because they're putting poison in it. He conspired with all of the bakers in town to put poison in the bread. The rabbi didn't know how to tell this to the community without uh, everybody losing their mind. He didn't tell everybody. He simply told them that there's, they made a mistake in the dates so that the, uh, the uh, holidays one extra day. That forced everybody not to buy bread for one extra day. But that means the bread would go bad. So then they sent this report to the police. The police uh, went to the bakeries. They had a dog eat the bread. The dog died. Obviously, they saw that this story is true. They arrested all the bakers. Long story short, teaches us when you're good, not just to your fellow Jews, but also the Gentiles, good things come out of it. Good things come out of it. Our job is to be a light to the nations. Light to the nations doesn't mean that we walk around with a light bulb on our head. Light to the nations means we follow the Torah, follow the rules of the Torah, and that creates light everywhere. Now, if you teach your kids about things like this, you teach your kids about how to honor their parents, how the, the story of the uh, uh, Rabiu dynasty and, and uh, Antoninus, of how they saved each other's lives throughout their time, and different things. I have hundreds of these, Hashem. these things are what my kids are growing up on. You teach your kids with these types of heroes these types of holy people guess what you are giving your kids a real education you're giving your kids real heroes you're giving your kids somebody to truly admire because if you give your kids the mj the lj uh the the uh, the, uh, the the michael jackson's the michael jordans the, the, the uh, lebron jameses the tiger woods of the world those people they're gonna admire guess what you're teaching your kids to admire something that is phantom, that's not real. Number one, because those people are not what they really are. Like on TV, they're not really like that in real life. Number two, the chances of your kid becoming like one of those super athletes, super celebrities, super stars of whatever kind, movie stars, are slim to none. Slim to none. Why? Because millions of other, billions of other people are trying the same exact thing. Why don't you give your kids something that is more, uh, 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 has more legs, has more foundation, has something that has more possibilities of succeeding. And quite frankly, something that's something that's more productive in society. When you have your kids aspire to be some type of celebrity, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, you're simply setting up your kid to fail because the chances of your kid becoming that type of celebrity or that type of athlete, that type of movie star, that type of success are literally slim to none and even if they succeed it also comes with all of the battles that those people fail at on a regular basis how many celebrities and athletes are people that are worth admiring in their personal lives how many divorces do they go through how many addictions do they have to overcome how many problems do they, uh, uh, do they have to deal with things that are unknown to most people until it's too late the the pedophilia and the sex addictions and the rapes and the multiple moms and the multiple dads and the multiple this and the multiple that meaning the whole picture is one big fake illusion one phantom you're teaching your kid to go and admire something that's not even an it it's it's literally a, a a a destruction that's being that's that's being illustrated as a success so that is if if you wanted to say the biggest difference between the way the jewish people raise their kids when they're religious the religious jewish people not every jewish person is raising their kids this way if they're if they're a, a, a secular zionist they're raising their kids no different than you raise your kids they're raising their kids with the admiration to become some type of politician or some type of uh, celebrity of some kind, some movie star, some uh, uh, a pornography producer, some type of drug dealer, or some type of loser in society. That's what they're teaching their kids to be because that's what the schools today teach. They teach you to be uh, a pornography star, a pornography producer, a drug dealer, a drug user, uh, uh, or some type of degenerate, or maybe a celebrity, or, or perhaps all of them above. But if you are part of the Jewish people that are... Connected to God, connected to the Torah, you're teaching them about these heroes. These are people that you could truly admire. These are people that they have something to admire. They have something to look up to. They've actually done something worthwhile. Something that everyone can aspire to do. Something that everyone can actually also do to a certain extent. When you teach your kids that this is what you should aspire to be, then you're teaching them something. Why? Because not only can they do it, but they should do it. They should do it. And this rabuṭa is the biggest difference between the two two, uh, communities. And it's not really only two communities. It's the difference between the Jewish, the Orthodox Jewish people that are committed to Torah and the rest of the world. That's the difference. While the Romans and the Greeks trained their kids to be warriors, we trained our kids to be tzaddikim. While the Spaniards trained their kids to be warriors, we trained our kids to be tzaddikim. While the Nazis trained their kids to be warriors, we trained our kids to be tzaddikim. While the Americans train their kids to be celebrities, we train our kids to be tzaddikim. While the Israelis are teaching their kids to be soccer players and celebrities, we're teaching our kids to be tzaddikim. And yes, Israelis, they're Jews, but unfortunately, they're not all religious. You see, Gabutai, if you train your kids to admire losers, you've made the decision for them. It has nothing to do with the Jews. It has nothing to do with the Jews. It has nothing to do with the Jewish people. You did it. You, as the parent, failed them. Listening to Louis Farrakhan and the losers like him that blame it on the Jew because that's their agenda. That's their preach. But the truth is, it has nothing to do with the Jews. How did I have anything to do with your upbringing? How did my rabbi have anything to do with your upbringing? how did my rabbi how did i have any to do with what you decided to watch yesterday tomorrow the next day no you decide what to consume you decide how to use these windows to your soul you decide what to listen to you decide what to speak You decide what to smell. You decide what clothes to wear. You decide whether you're going to be promiscuous or you're going to be modest and preserved. You decide whether you're going to be materialistic or you're going to be much more modest and much more humble. You decide whether you're going to be arrogant and flaunt yourself and build yourself some type of image like uh, like a Farrakhan student that thinks that he's a little Farrakhan making himself all types of images and self-portraits. This shows the product of the teacher. The teacher made himself some big stage For the world to listen to him, his little student does the same exact thing just on the internet, makes himself self-portraits. One of the most pitiful, pathetic excuses for a being where you literally are constantly making more and more portraits of yourself because you like yourself so much that you're making more pictures of yourself. Truly pathetic existence. But this is the product of society. If you're constantly looking at your phone to take pictures of yourself just to post it on the internet, you are an excuse for a life. Literally, you're taking a life that's priceless and you're making it simply worthless. Why? Because you're so consumed with people's opinion of yourself that you have actually become consumed with yourself yourself, which in itself is demented, in itself is something sick. But this is what's happening in society today. People are constantly looking at themselves, constantly taking pictures of themselves, Constantly showing up the few things that they have that are better than others. Instead of sharing their wealth, they make fun of everybody that doesn't have wealth. Instead of sharing their blessings, they show off their blessings. Instead of being good, they tell other people to do good. It's literally the opposite of the Torah is what we have as a standard of society today. So it has nothing to do with the Jewish people. It's your decision. And guess what? I'm talking to Jews and non-Jews right now. There are countless Jews that watch my shulim that are in the same pathetic state of life as the Gentiles. They also aspire to be basketball players, aspire to be movie stars, aspire to be some famous DJ or musician, aspire to be something materialistic, aspire to be some uh, famous this and famous that and rich this and rich that. Literally, aspire to be useless. That's what they aspire to be. Why? Because, again, if your materialistic ambitions are what you think are going to make you a life, you've already decided to give up on life. But if you decide to make your life something with a higher purpose, then whatever you end up using to get to that purpose, consuming to get to that purpose, however many houses you needed, however many cars you needed, however much food you needed, whatever you ended up consuming, whatever you ended up being blessed with, is simply a product of your existence but if the product became your existence your existence is purposeless so you see what we view as difference in the jewish people is not a difference in the jewish people it's differences who's going to comply with the torah and who's not there are many people that are among our brothers our sisters our Jewish brothers and sisters that don't comply with the Torah. And guess what? They're living the same life as everybody else. Materialistic, purposeless, and unfortunately, troublesome. So this also goes out to them because they also teach their kids to admire false leaders, admire materialism, admire things that are purposeless instead of admiring something with a purpose. One of the most awful things that american jews have admired over the last 70 years is the israeli army and literally the sages the jewish sages cried out tears of blood against this over the last seven years so much so that when they said that girls have to be drafted also the sages told Amisrael, israel chazonish and others this is die but not sin meaning to send your daughter to the israeli army or any army it's better to die than to do that unfortunately the warped mentality of american judaism that is very connected at times with zionism and i'm not talking about the uh, just the secular zionist although that's the majority but rather also some modern orthodox or what they call religious zionists cared less about what the jewish sages said and electively electively would send their american daughters and sons to the israeli defense force to the israeli army now to send your son is stupid why Israel doesn't need any more soldiers from America. They have enough from Israel, especially since the mandatory draft. But needless to say, you want to do it, by all means, do it. Stupid, but you can do it if you want. Especially if that's what your son was taught, that he should do it. But to send your daughter, that's suicide. That's going against the sages, and it's bound to cause problems. Now, of course, many people ignored the Chazonish. Many people ignored Rabovadia many people ignored all of the sages that spoke against this thinking that they know better well a recent report came out that the one out of four one out of four women in the uh the serving in the uh prison or the police in israel has been sexually attacked in some way or another raped molested Or otherwise, the amount of abortions that are made in the Israeli Defense Force is a national secret they will refuse to release because there are so many. The amount of girls that are being raped in the Israeli army, in the police force, is no different than what's happening in America and other countries that allow women to serve. So If they were forced to go in there and there's nothing you can do about it, that's one thing. But to go send your daughter to the Israeli army is simply sending your daughter to go get raped. That's what you're doing. Where does that start with? By making the Israeli Defense Force, by making uh, uh, Ben-Gurion, by making uh, 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 all of the Zionists your heroes that led to your daughter's rape that's what led to your daughter's rape it has nothing to do with the rabbi it has nothing to do with the religious community in fact it doesn't even have anything to do with the army it has to do with the parenting the parenting and the upbringing that you had your kid now this is all public reports you can double check every single word that i said you see karim when a person has the holy torah they have the truth They have people to admire they have what to admire they have what to learn and what to teach they don't need anybody to preach them a new innovative idea and tell them who to hate why because the torah already tells us the very same message over and over again we have to love god with all of our heart with all of our resources with all of our life, we have to help our fellow Jews get closer to Hashem, get closer to God, do tshuva. But if they hate the Torah, if they contradict the Torah intentionally, they mock the Torah, we have to hate them. Needless to say with the Gentiles too, if the Gentiles, one of the righteous among the people, among the nations, we can help them. It's mitzvah to help them. It's a good deed to help them. But if they contradict the Torah, if they hate Jews, if they hate the Torah, we have to hate them. Why? That's what the God said. Meaning, you don't have a permission to hate someone just because of your feelings or just because of their skin complexion or just because of their religion. You have a clear definition of who to love and who to hate. Who to help, who to run away from. Clear instructions from the one and only that's unbiased, the creator himself. This Rabotai is what is the greatest difference between the preacher and the teacher. While the preacher is building himself a stage, delivering his message, the teacher is teaching you tools that you can take with you whenever you want, in whatever fashion you want. You can use them for yourself you can use them for your marriage you could use them for work you can use them for your kids you could ignore them too and then pay the price but nonetheless at least know that you had them at your disposal if you decide to repent you decide to do tshuva and that's what the chazonish finishes up with and says one who is particular in his actions acquires a great and strong trait of endless love for being particular this love will enable him to despise all his opponents, even though those opponents are childhood friends, namely the group of bad traits that he delighted as a child. When a person decides that I'm going to go in the way of a Torah, I'm putting everything on the line. Doesn't matter what it says. Doesn't matter if I understand Doesn't matter if I grew up this way or I grew up that way. I know it's true. I'm going after it. I'm going to try my best. I fail. I'm going to try again. I fail. I try again. I fail. I try again, but I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. A person decides to go that way. They're guaranteed to succeed. And not only that, they're going to fall in love with not only the results, but even the process itself. Because the more particular they are about the law, the more they'll fall in love with the law because they'll see results in their own life. They'll see the products. They'll see the fruits that are coming out of them. How they are with people, how they are under pressure, how they are with their kids, how they are with their spouse, how they are with their employees, how they are with their manager, how they are in society, how they are under all circumstances. They'll see the fruits from all of that. And when they see it, they'll fall in love with, with hashem and his torah even more and the only thing that they will despise are the things that hold them back namely their childhood friends which are their evil traits that they grew up with that are holding them back from reaching their full potential may be his will that all of us use the holy torah to reach our full potential to serve the one and only god to listen to Teachers, and not preachers to listen to the holy truth of the Torah and not the hatred of men and de shem we will all succeed there are no shortcuts no tricks,
1: no magic the magic cave you fear possesses the cure you seek go within Just now, once you cross that threshold, there is only one way
0: out. There was a rich family that lived here called the Hetheringtons, and unfortunately, their daughter passed away of a heart attack inside the house. Basically, they were so devastated that they reached out to people claiming to be psychic mediums. They actually weren't psychic mediums. They opened up a total of 11 portals inside this house and invited spirits and entities
1: from all different kinds of dimensions. Well, I think there are certain pieces of evidence that there is an afterlife. The resurrection of the dead is affirmed uh, pretty clearly
0: uh, in the Talmud and the Medrash. Be honest with you, to give this lecture is a nightmare. If it was up to me, I would. There's going to be some graphic details.
1: This place is a maze that person after death went to a place called Sheol. This is by far the largest near-death experience study that has ever been conducted. People go to a place and they experience weird things. And sometimes they actually will see a character of some type. Well, where did that come from? I don't know why that one chain is swinging back there.
0: They may describe feeling profoundly peaceful, seeing a bright, warm, welcoming light. Some people describe watching doctors and nurses working on them with incredible accuracy. Next thing I knew, I was above my body
1: watching the operation. How long did you feel like you were gone? I went to a place of timelessness. And so what that means, it could have been a second. Could have been five minutes. I don't know. Can you imagine waking up from your sleep and not being able to move? As I'm lying there, I realize that there's a, an evil presence next to me. Do you believe that angels, demons exist? Holy <gasps> dude, get out of here! Oh my God, dude! Strange things keep happening. Bizarre nightmares. As if I'm on fire.
0: <laughs> Whoa, what the hell is this? Man, I've
1: got bad chest pain. Satan's Hollow is what it's called, the portal to hell. Some people calling it an eye of fire, while others said it looked like the portal to hell opening up. And the next thing I know, I was outside of my body, looking at my body.
0: What I'm going to do is called claromancy, the art of throwing lots or
1: throwing bones. 2,000 years of... Passed down, recorded of how demons work. God has them all on a leash, and he lets the leash go enough to let them tempt us, because that's what makes us spiritually stronger. I'm
0: trying to be as graphic as possible so you understand what we're talking about. It's your
1: ticket to reality. It's your ticket to freedom. It's your ticket to immortality. Is there an afterlife? Is there a it's God? The type of
0: information that can keep you away from the
1: What happens to us after we die? we